0: This is Reverend Matt.
1: And this is regular Matt. And And this this is the Welcome Matt.
0: This is, all right. Welcome Matt's podcast. Uh, It's the holiday season. We're in between Christmas and New Year's. Um, I don't know when this will be posted, but this is when we're recording it.
1: Maybe my, a little bit after New Year's, probably.
0: (laughs) Uh, So um, I, let's see, had a pretty sweet Christmas. I don't know. (laughs) Was able to um, go with family, and then my responsibility every Christmas morning is cooking bacon. Mm -hmm. So did that. Didn't burn any bacon because I felt like I burnt a lot of bacon last year. So the goal for this Is that year not just crispy bacon? was not, yeah. Which I don't mind, but I guess other not people, everyone, <laughs> not everyone enjoys the the crispiness of their bacon. Yeah.
1: Some people like that soft bacon,
0: right? So yeah. I, you know, trying to cater to the <laughs> the, the masses, the, not just for myself. <laughs> uh, and then also made a apple pie because last right. year yeah. I. Uh, or not last year. Thanksgiving, I tried to make caramel mm-hmm. and I failed terribly. Yeah. So tried it again happens. this year and succeeded. So everyone that gets uh, little gifts from me from for Christmas, look forward next year for your jar of caramel.
1: Your jar of caramel, not <laughs> even just like little uh, candy pieces of caramel. No, it's gonna be a full jar.
0: Yes. All right. Yeah, you can put it on whatever. I no judgment. If you want to put it on fried chicken go for it hey, that'd be delicious it's like
1: sweet and salty it's all i ever want in life
0: oh, i guess we'll have to try doing that next. Yeah.
1: well it can be part of our uh, mukbang right. <laughs> Or mukbang podcast or something um let's see I, I had a pretty i guess eventful uh christmas um we went down to southern california to celebrate over the weekend with uh jenna's family and then came right back up and then i went to work for a day a half a day, mm. and then we did Christmas with my family. Nice. We brought vegetables. Oh, people don't in my family don't really like vegetables.
0: <laughs> that was like the opposite of mine like pie and bacon <laughs> and then vegetables.
1: <laughs> That's okay. Most people didn't even eat our vegetables. Oh. <laughs> my family's big, like carnivores almost. That's well, no, true. They like, they like their of... potatoes.
0: Oh, yeah, but
1: they really like
0: their gravy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah, carbs and meat. Yeah, yeah. that's it.
1: No vegetables. No, that's vegetables. just a waste of space at that point. Yeah. Somebody always brings a salad and there's always like three quarters left over. Yeah. Yeah. Why why do you try? <laughs> I don't know. I wanted vegetables, that's why. Yeah. I was being
0: selfish. There you go. That's that's why. Yeah. Bring it for yourself.
1: Yep. And then other than that, uh I guess I got engaged. Oh,
0: I didn't know didn't know you were gonna let that one drop here. Yeah.
1: Well, we'll see. It might get cut out. Okay. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, only 40 people listen to him, and one person goes to Jenna's temple and told Jenna's mom about how he listens to all our podcasts. <laughs> so. so so thanks, JP.
0: <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, so in uh, the recent news, it wasn't super recent, but something that did catch my eye was that PETA tweeted out something from their account about how... Uh, and this is—I'll read this directly. Words matter, and as our understanding of social justice evolves, our language evolves along with it. Here's how to remove speciesism. Is that am I, am I saying that right? Speech, speciesism? Species, species speciesism? I don't know. All right. Well, whatever. To, from your daily conversation, and then there's this table that says stop using anti-animal language. So instead of kill two birds with one stone say feed two birds with one scone instead of be the guinea pig say be the test tube instead of beat a dead horse say feed a fed horse instead of bring home the bacon say bring home the bagels and finally instead of take the bull by the horns take the flower by the thorns so really the only one we had a problem was with the last one because yeah, that didn't really make sense to me, because that's sense. not really... That seems like it would
1: hurt you more than you're, like, taking control of the situation. Right. I also think that the two birds with one scone is probably not the best one either. Why wasn't it, like, feed two dogs with one bone?
0: Yeah, it's tr- like the the scone feeding two birds one entire scone seems irresponsible. That just seems like they would become obese. It's a bit, yeah, a bit overkill. Yeah, which, unless you know,
1: you're... Making tiny scones.
0: Bird-sized scones. But why would you do that? That seems like... Well, it seems like it'd be very difficult because you would it would bake too quickly. It would like burn.
1: Yeah. But I guess birds don't really care about texture as much
0: as we do. Also true. So, I've, well, I don't know.
1: We'll, we'll have to ask Pete about that one day.
0: I can honestly say that I've never tried bird seed.
1: <laughs> I can honestly say
0: it probably tastes just like sesame seed. Now I kind of want to try it.
1: Well, we'll have to go get some then. Okay. We can... We can do that in our own time and not tell anybody about it.
0: I did try uh, dog treats this past time because... Why? Um, Michelle's mom had dog treats. Did do they uh, taste like cookies? No. So they were... It was said that they were chicken pot pie flavored. And they looked kind of like these like doughy like... They're shaped like bottle caps. You know, like the yeah, candy yeah, yeah. bottle caps. Mm-hmm. So like I smelled it. And it smelled pretty good. And I tried it. And it really just tasted like carrots. Like it was pretty sweet. A lot sweeter That's actually than I interesting
1: it be. because I was... I thought you were gonna say it tastes like sawdust.
0: <laughs> no, they're they're like the legit kind that people like make at home and then mm. they sell at I don't know the farmers market or something yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah, so I don't know. It was wasn't my favorite. I but I do have kind of an affinity for chicken pot pie. I so my standards say for are probably dog treats. <laughs> I <was> going,
1: yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't tell that to the podcast <laughs> yeah. listeners.
0: No, I just have a very high standard for mm. chicken pot pie. All right,
1: that's true. You and, did buy that one from Costco, and we ate almost the whole thing. Yes.
0: So, all right. So, um, the this whole idea of using different kinds of language to get the violence out of it mm-hmm. i thought at least the notion of it was very noble as far as the effectiveness or you know the controversy surrounding the tweet about how cause some people said that by focusing on that you were taking focus away from quote unquote like actual social justice issues mm-hmm. uh, so that I'm not going to get into, but uh, it did make me think of how important it is for us to be aware of the language that we use, mm-hmm. uh, because the way that we communicate does have a effect on the people around us, uh, whether it's uh, nice or mean. Uh, we have, to a certain extent, this kind of power to influence other people. And I don't mean, you know, make them do stuff, but to make them feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's that one um Meme that's been going around about how these certain things can trigger people, mm-hmm. and like that's one example and kind of an extreme and satirical form of how words can be dangerous. Yeah, uh, but in you know the normal everyday language, it is if we're not aware of it, we can be using language that could be mm-hmm. enforcing some kind of uh, stereotype or you know value system. Um, If we do it unconsciously. So it's important for us to, at the very least, pay attention to the words that we're using. Mm -hmm. And uh, in an article that came up uh, later on, um, there was uh, a master of being aware of language who was none other than the late, great Mr. Rogers. Mm. Did you want to... Oh, that was me? Are you going to read off the... Uh, yeah. I was going to hand it off yeah, yeah, to you. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I thought you were going to go more into that article. No,
0: no. You. Do you know who it was by? I got to... <laughs> I can look that up. I, don't worry. I, I got to... Yeah, okay, so we just, just to let everyone know, we have probably spent more time preparing for this one than we have prepared for all of them combined. <laughs> it's true. So, this is true. Yeah.
1: Except for maybe the first one that we didn't post because it was so bad. Yeah.
0: So Matt was uh, very... I'm not strenuously, but vigorously, vigorously uh, preparing for this. So I wanted to hand it off to him to so he could show you the fruits of his labor.
1: Yeah. <laughs> OK, so um, so Matt or Reverend Matt sent me this article by uh, Maxwell King, and it, it was posted in the Atlantic. Um, and it's called Mr. Rogers had a simple set of rules for talking to children. So he did this through nine steps, and I will read them off to you. We'll kind of go through all nine of them, and then we'll come back through it, and we'll read or we'll kind of dive into each step one by one. But the first step was to state the idea you wish to express as clearly as possible and in terms preschoolers can understand. Um, An example of it is it is dangerous to play in the street. The second is to rephrase it in a positive manner. And that would be an example of that would be, it is good to play where it is safe. Step three is to rephrase the idea. Bear in mind that preschoolers cannot yet make subtle distinctions and need to be redirected by authorities they trust. Ask your parents where it is safe to play. Step four, rephrase your idea to eliminate all elements that could be considered prescriptive descriptive, or instructive. Your parents will tell you where it is safe to play. Step five is to rephrase any element that suggests certainty. Your parents can tell you where it is safe to play. Um, Step six is to rephrase your idea to eliminate any element that may not apply to all children. Your favorite grown-ups can tell you where it is safe to play. Step seven is to add motivational ideas that gives preschoolers a reason to follow your advice. Your favorite grown-ups can tell you where it is safe to play. It is a good idea to listen to them. Step eight is to rephrase your new statement repeating the first step. Good good represents a value judgment in this case. So um, the example is your favorite grown-ups can tell you where it is safe to play. It's important to try to listen to them. Um, and the final step is to rephrase your idea a final time, relating it to some phase of development a preschooler can understand. And the final example is your favorite grown-ups can tell you where it is safe to play. It is important to try to listen to them. And listening is an important part of growing up. Um, so we kind of talked about this before, and we both agreed that this is a great exercise in uh, mindfulness. And each step is kind of delving deeper into that um, consciousness of how we use our own language. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the first step, um, the, you got it, right? Yep. Got oh, it. You're pulling it up. I pull it up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in the first step um, to state the idea you wish to express as clearly as possible. And in terms of preschooler can understand, I think um, we often, like when we're talking to people, we we'll try to flash our knowledge and kind of mm-hmm. make ourselves seem smarter right. than we are. Right. So when we do that it's kind of we talk in terms of the language of the subject. right? in ter- instead of um maybe like just talking to somebody in a regular way. <laughs> right, right. And then I think the other part the other side of that is that we are too embarrassed to admit that we don't know it. Yeah. So we're just kind of <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. But you really don't understand what's going on. Um but to me maybe like the full mastery of uh, a certain subject is the ability to be able to talk to other people in, I wouldn't say dumb it down, but kind of make it more, um, I don't know, relatable to
0: them.
1: Yeah. Um. What, what, what about you?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that was a good way of putting it in that relatable because you want to meet them where they are, mm-hmm. right, in terms of their understanding. Obviously, if you're talking to someone who is an expert in a field, you mm-hmm. don't want to, you know, dumb it down because then it's too Uh, dumbed down for them right you want to uh, meet them where they are Uh, and it's great to put yourself in the position of the other person because like you were saying you know if you are being talked to by someone who has all of these big words or something Mm -hmm. instead of trying to ask a question about everything every two seconds they say something right which is like uh can be seen as impolite or rude or you know might be annoying after a while Mm -hmm. uh to avoid even putting somebody in that position by putting it in terms that they understand. So uh, it's also a great step in first not being exclusive because when you start using words that people don't understand then you're excluding certain kinds of people and you Mm -hmm. don't want to uh, exclude anyone. So that is also um, another uh, idea that we'll get into a little bit later within uh, these steps.
1: Yeah. And then I think the other thing, maybe more specific to like, Shoto Buddhism, is that there's a lot of things that don't necessarily make sense or don't translate well. But as Japanese Americans or as for you as a minister, it has more context to you. Mm -hmm. So I think in that way, like during the services and stuff, it's very good that like a lot of the ministers will kind of make Buddhism more relatable in that way. And I think that's kind of that first step is just kind of making those teachings more accessible to more people
0: right yeah right uh there was um what was it there's when we were learning how to write dharma talks oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah they were let's see someone one of my the people helping us or teaching us he told me that you should make a dharma talk that appeals to i think it was like three people Mm -hmm. and then the first person was someone who had no idea about buddhism Mm -hmm. someone who had like a working understanding of buddhism and someone who was an expert in buddhism so like those three people uh you have to write a talk that can interest all three of them which is very very difficult yeah to do something that like at the very base level like uh you know a child would understand but at the same time, you don't want to alienate people who have studied very hard mm-hmm. you know, in Buddhism because you want something there that they also can right. take away. Which, again, going that far, you don't want to alienate, alienate the, the children. So mm-hmm. that's, it's a really tricky kind of balancing act that uh, we have to work with. But um, that is the ideal and trying to get yeah. it to everyone in such a way that not only is it understandable, but also very meaningful.
1: Yeah. And then I think it's just being conscious of how you present those ideas, because anything can be interesting. I feel like as right. long as as long as we're we're trying our best to, right. <laughs> to present it to everyone in the right way. Right. Um, so then in the step two, it's to rephrase in a positive manner. Mm-hmm. And I think. um I don't know. In Buddhism, that's kind of difficult. I feel like a lot of times we focus on the negative parts of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, or, like the neg- or like that the whole life is suffering. Right. Kind of thing.
0: Which I I agree. And I think that it was... It can be definitely seen that way mm-hmm. and almost like nihilist. Yeah. Uh, but the the real... I don't know. The real heart of Buddhism is very positive Mm -hmm. and like wholesome and so once you get to that point yeah you do have to go through kind of a process where it like breaks you down and then builds you back up because like the life is suffering uh that was it was explained to me that it was kind of a mistranslation
1: as most things are yeah
0: (laughs) because the word that it comes from where life is dukkha Mm -hmm. um it's the root of that word comes from the space in between uh, in the middle of a wheel. Mm-hmm. So, right, let's see, uh, you know, back way back when you make wheels, you have the center, and then you have the spokes coming out of it, and then uh, you have the actual, like, wheel. Wheel itself, yeah. Right, so then if the space within that wheel uh, is a perfect fit for the spoke, mm-hmm. then you're going to have a real smooth ride. Right. But if the space in it is all messed up and doesn't fit very well, mm-hmm. you're going to have a very bumpy ride. Mm-hmm. And that's where uh, this idea of suffering comes from is that life is real bumpy right and like maybe a modern um analog that i use a lot could be uh if you have a shopping cart and it has a bum wheel Mm -hmm. and you want to go one direction but then it ends up taking you in a completely different direction right then that's generally how life goes is that we we have these expectations we have uh things that we want to go we have all these plans but inevitably something happens mm-hmm. and that's just the nature of life and so when you look at it that way it looks a lot less uh, negative mm-hmm. and again like this is why it's so important to have positive language which exactly. is life doesn't always go the way that we want it to mm-hmm. right which is a much more positive way of looking at it than yeah. um that life is suffering mm-hmm. which they're both trying to hit on the same point but right right <laughs> it, but one is sounds ways, yeah. way better than the other yeah. <laughs> and
1: one is more inviting to people right <laughs> okay so then in step three it is to rephrase the idea bear in mind that preschoolers cannot yet make subtle distinctions and need to be redirected by two authorities they trust um in this way i think um we shouldn't treat people like preschoolers all the time. Yeah, I think that's that's a little condescending. But I think, um, you know, a lot of people come to Temple mm-hmm. and don't know as much as others. Right. And especially with new members coming in or it'd be younger kids or, right. you know, teenagers that are doing some kind of religion report. Right. Or something like that. I think there's just so many ways to perceive um Buddhism that we need to like present the idea and also reinforce it in a positive way mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of how we learn anyways is to just keep reinforcing certain ideas and in that way I think, you know, there's a way we try to present Buddhism mm-hmm. and especially for you It's bringing up an idea and then kind of telling a story off of that right. and then Reinforcing that idea right. and then doing so again and again Kind of
0: right, absolutely. And like they, they, um, when in this step they're talking about the authorities. Mm-hmm. So the authorities of the temple, people would very easily say, oh, the minister right. or the minister assistants or, mm-hmm. you know, even the office staff yeah. or something, the president. Mm-hmm. There are these titles that we give people that make them seem like authorities, which to a certain extent, you know, they are. But Uh, One of the things that I love about Buddhism is this idea of the fellow traveler and Mm. and that idea that we're all on this path together. And so I think it becomes each and every person's responsibility Mm -hmm. to be an authority on the subject of Buddhism. Yeah. So in that way, like you were saying, you know, we can relate it to our own lives, we can experience it, we can learn it, and we're able to share it with other people. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes, uh, again, our responsibility to be authorities to people who are coming in, these new people, yeah. for us to share our own experiences. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily that they trust us off the bat, but to build that kind of trust right, uh, right. with them. And that way they will feel comfortable in the future talking yeah. to people.
1: And I'd say the one of the best things about like Jodo Shinshu Buddhism is how a lot of the teachings are more on the experiential side. Mm-hmm. It's not that you just have to blindly believe in these things. Right. It's more you're going to experience this and this is the different perspectives that you can have on it. Right. But we need to be, you know, conscious that it's happening. Right. Thing. Yeah. And I think in that way it makes it more relatable to a lot of the temple members mm-hmm. and whether they're listening or not or realize that they're kind of living the dharma then they'll be able to relate that or relay that to other people
0: right the uh, the experiential the experiential aspect of buddhism cannot be uh under what's the word I'm looking for underemphasized mm-hmm. overemphasized it mm-hmm. can't be overemphasized <laughs> that's it and that's why the temples are so important. Yeah. It's because, yeah, you know, we can go and we listen to the Dharma talk every mm-hmm. Sunday or, you know, during our memorial services, whatever. But where the real learning happens is the interaction between right, each other. Right. And, and kind
1: of just building that community together. Yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So then step four is to rephrase your idea to eliminate all elements that could be considered prescriptive, directive, or instructive. And, um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about this one?
0: Well, like, uh, he's not telling, uh, he doesn't want to tell people what to do, which mm-hmm. again, I think is also a very Buddhist, uh, I guess, um, value mm-hmm. is that we never try to tell people what to do. Yeah, we, exactly. we offer them something and it's up to each person to decide if they really want to do it. Uh, and that's, you know on one hand kind of difficult about buddhism because it doesn't Mm -hmm. tell us exactly what we need to do or Mm -hmm. it doesn't tell us to go you know banging on people's doors to like get new members uh so that in that part it's kind of difficult but at the same time it's also uh very liberating because everyone is free to make up their own mind Mm -hmm. and just because one person sees it one way doesn't mean that the other person is wrong but i do love the idea that we are we don't tell people what to do that it's Mm. each person's own prerogative as to how far they want to take their own understanding, their own spiritual journey. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, I think people kind of have a negative um, reaction to being told what to do all Mm -hmm. the time, especially by, I mean, not especially by religion, but
0: well now, yeah, I think you could say that in this climate right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think it's just more so that when it's an authority figure That isn't kind of, I don't know, of your time or of your experience Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Or you're just like, oh, why would I blindly listen to this kind of thing?
0: Well, I would make the argument that even for your peers, you wouldn't want to be told what to do. Exactly. No, no. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) But um, yeah, and I think that's a good thing about Buddhism is just that like we try to relay the information Mm -hmm. and then – It's up to people to interpret it how they want to interpret it. Mm -hmm. And we can give our own experiences and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it can be relatable, but it doesn't necessarily mean they have to react the same way we did or that they are taking away the same lessons that we are. Right. But I don't know. That's that's like the thing about Buddhism that's kind of different to me is just that it's so widely, I don't know interpreted ex- yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. okay and then going into step five it's to rephrase any element to or that suggests certainty so um i don't know for me it's more like um when we have our own experiences mm. it's kind of going back to what we just said it's that we experience things in a certain way but that's not going to be the only way it's right experience and right. That we all have different perspectives and different um i don't know ex the different external environments, I guess that kind of shape our perspective on it. But, you know, I mean, if you and I happen to experience the same thing, it's not that we see it the exact same way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, for me with this idea of the lack of certainty, Mm -hmm. um, it plays into uh, what people also find very difficult to talk about, which is faith. Mm. Uh, and the idea that you do have to have faith in something because you never actually know. Mm-hmm. And that at, is at the heart of Jodo Shinshu because uh, our founder, Shinran, he said, this is the only path for me, and if I'm led astray, then inevitably I'll end up in hell. Mm-hmm. But I have no regrets because I couldn't do anything else. Yeah. So there's this idea of we do have to uh, believe that there's something about, the path that we're on to mm-hmm. uh, push us to be, you know, the best that we can. Mm-hmm. And if we're, you know, if we're end up being wrong, then that's just something that we have to accept. Yeah. So like it, we all have to commit to certain things in our lives mm-hmm. And nothing in life is for certain, yeah. but that doesn't mean that we don't want to do it. So that idea of once we find something that we feel is worth putting our our faith and our heart into, mm-hmm. that we should really do it to the best of our ability. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I, I would say that, you know, for us, as Buddhists, it's we're not really trying to tell people how to live their lives or mm-hmm. that they're living their lives the wrong way. Right. Or anything like that. But more so that we're trying to bring our experiences in terms of how we relate them to the teachings mm-hmm. and say, you know, this is something I've learned this way and this is how you can avoid, you know, going through the same kind of suffering. I, I think that's kind right. of kind right, of the right. word we're using yeah. is how you can avoid this t- Suffering, right? Which doesn't mean you won't suffer, or right. you won't find some other way to, you know, mess up, <laughs> right? Right, but Absolutely. but but it is one thing you can avoid, and sharing that and making that community is kind of what we were just talking about,
0: right? No, I think that's a, i think that's a great way of putting it. Uh, that if we could and somehow help out our fellow human beings mm-hmm. uh by relating how we've suffered, then, you know, then other people might be better off. Uh, Like, as you said, not that they won't suffer ever Mm -hmm. again, but we can help them a little bit. But at least they
1: can kind of see the signs of like, oh, this isn't going to turn out well. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then uh, step six is to rephrase your idea to eliminate any element that may not apply to all children. Mm -hmm. And in this way, I think that um, there are so many different, kinds of people in life in terms of um, you know socioeconomic um mm-hmm. you know, people who have lost their parents people who don't have parents mm-hmm. people who are adopted kind of thing things like that yeah. um i think it's not our goal to say that this there's like an ideal person that this fits into kind of mm-hmm. but that it can apply to anyone and that we're using language that makes that more clear.
0: Right. And uh, so Jodo Shinshu grew out of a response to a exclusive mm-hmm. Buddhism, mm-hmm. right? That was only by the aristocrats and uh, the ascetics. So when Shinran left the mountain and tried to bring it to the everyday people, he had uh, his... Idea of the teaching was mm-hmm. that it was universal, right? That anyone would be able to benefit. It didn't mm-hmm. matter what your past was, what your uh, job was, whatever it was that you were doing, you were able to benefit from this teaching. Mm-hmm. And so, in that sense, we want to uh, not just portray it, but use language and teachings that do not exclude anyone, right? Right. And this is something that I've been trying to do. It's been a struggle it'll continue to be a struggle Mm -hmm. because you know uh, constantly there's things coming up I know for one of my uh, dharma talks I told a story and it was brought up to me that you know maybe the gender roles that I was uh, assigning uh, characters Mm -hmm. in the story could uh, be misconstrued to think That people had to live a certain way. And so while it was a little bit off the subject of the actual story, Mm -hmm. I did see the point that they were trying to make. And I, I realized myself that I had control over what... Uh, how you present the message exactly so you know if i and i I like using a lot of old um folktales which they have a male protagonist Mm -hmm. oftentimes and you know some sort of like damsel in distress or something and it is my choice to do that or i can switch it up so Mm -hmm. you know who uh there's nothing stopping me from making it a female protagonist or making uh you know uh them have a same-sex kind of relationship, mm-hmm. um, all of those things uh, I could include. And you know I will try to uh, include in the future for sure. Uh, but I think all of us um, do uh, have... We, we do have the ability to use inclusive language. Yeah. And uh, we can try to do it when we can. Obviously, when someone gets... Uh, upset or offended, it's Mm -hmm. important for that person to uh, also look with compassion and try to teach people instead of always reacting in perhaps a uh, violent way. Mm -hmm. Because when you respond to uh, in violence, then the other person becomes defensive, whereas it's a very great teaching moment for someone if uh, they want to not necessarily correct, but, you know, kind of open up their eyes to it. So I don't know. It's, it's something that, you know, I try to ask when people, if I say, oh, yeah, you know, you don't want to just assume like, oh, you have like a boyfriend or a, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, well, do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Like, yeah, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't I don't mind. I do just use the do you have a significant other? Right. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. So that that kind of language. Right. We try. Right, to. right.
1: And I think the important thing for us is that we try to we I don't know if preach is the right word, but we kind of teach that Buddhism is a universal mm-hmm. or universal truths, mm-hmm. And in those universal truths, it has to be able to apply to a universal audience. Absolutely. So in that way, I think the language we use, and especially as, you know, as the minister and kind yeah. of the figurehead of the temple, mm-hmm. it is important that we try to remain as inclusive as possible. Right. And when people come and talk to you, I'm sure that then it's kind of more focused in on, who they are and how the teachings right. directly apply to them, right. but in terms of you know delivering a message to the sangha, mm-hmm. then that's kind of important right. to be more neutral about
0: right. everything. Right. Right. Yeah. So we don't uh, want to exclude anyone in any way to mm-hmm. make them think that they can't uh, know something or understand something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think I mean I think the BCA as a whole has been making strides. Yeah. <laughs> I been mean, in little strides in trying to show how inclusive we are in terms of a religion. Mm-hmm. And I know um the San Francisco Buddhist Temple mm-hmm. participates in the LGBTQ March right. every year. Right. And I think Seattle does as well. Right. And I think and I think those kind of things are important for us to kind of promote.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's important for us to show uh, those kinds of things. And it is equally as important, if not more important, to actually live it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. like you're saying preach, but it's important for us to practice what we yeah. preach because it's great if we have articles. It's great if we have these mm-hmm. photo ops. But what is really important is if somebody comes into our temple for them to feel welcome. Yeah. Because it'll be really jarring if you see stuff like that on the internet and then you go to a temple and like, you, know, oh, you get shunned yeah <laughs> not, not what i was expecting right so yeah i, mean, I think that is the next step yeah. so hopefully it kind of either trickles down or you know mm-hmm. grassroots, bottom up like whatever yeah. it is we we start to change the attitude that people truly do become accepting of yeah. all people
1: it's kind of more of that leading by example right kind of thing right. and i think that's that's important for us and mm-hmm. i know it's hard to always live your life as a Buddhist, yeah. or through the Buddhist teaching, yeah. I mean, we're all guilty of <laughs> preaching, but not, but not acting. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. But I think, I think it's it's becoming conscious of it, and mm. it's making those little adjustments here and there, absolutely every once in a while, and then that kind of creates the um, lifestyle right. that. Y- That is more of a Buddhist
0: lifestyle, right? We are in no way saying that everyone has to be perfect all the time, has to use perfect language all the time. Inevitably, you know, we're going to have missteps, but, uh, that's all part of the process. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying, the important thing is that we're conscious of it. Yeah.
1: Okay. And then we'll move on to step seven and step seven is to add simple motivational ideas that give preschoolers a reason to follow your advice. So in this way, I think um, it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, that we kind of present our own experiences in Buddhism Mm -hmm. and that we try to tell people or not tell people, but we show people where we failed, where we've suffered Mm -hmm. in some way and just kind of present to them like, hey, if you do this this way, uh, you know, you're going to suffer in the same way I did. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that you want to do. What you want to do is maybe... Create a little bit less suffering for yourself or not at all. So I think for you, that's a little bit more, I don't know, presentable, (laughs) I guess, in a way. Like, because you're you're in front of the temple more.
0: Yeah. And although I I, uh, like that, again, that notion that you were talking about leading by example, Uh, because that is one of the most important ways that we can... Introduce Buddhism to others or at least get them interested about it because uh, within our history, starting with the original Buddha when Mm -hmm. he was still Prince Siddhartha when he decided to become an ascetic, it was because of the last of the four gates the Mm -hmm. monk that he saw, that Mm -hmm. the monk had some kind of peace about him in the midst of all of the suffering that the Buddha wanted to also find So in that way, I think it's our, it's up to us to really truly live it. And if we're living a better life or living it in a way that, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, has less suffering, other people will notice it. And after they notice it, they'll want to see what it is that Buddhism can offer. Yeah. And so one story that I heard was that the reason someone became a member back actually at Berkeley was that they went to the bazaar. So they were at the bazaar yes. and they saw all of these people who were volunteers mm-hmm. and they were working so hard, but they were also very nice yeah. and they were having a good time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this person saw that and they thought to themselves, this is a community that I wanna be a part of. Yeah. You know, for these people, they have something that um, i want you know they they're having such a good time they're such a close-knit group and they're working so hard together so it was something that was very attractive to that person so mm-hmm. i i really do believe that if we can just live it uh in, in a great way that it will naturally attract other people not to say that we don't have to do some kind of yeah. pr because we definitely need pr it's yeah yeah, yeah terrible at this point but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it it helps yeah
1: yeah and i think i think maybe what you just touched on is great is that we need to kind of live it in a almost like a true way. Mm -hmm. Like I think a lot of times we try to force our experiences to fit, um, specific teachings in Buddhism, but Mm -hmm. if we're really kind of living a Buddhist life, it should fit seamlessly and we'll find ways to apply those teachings to our own life experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, so then in the next step, step eight, uh, it is to rephrase your statement and to repeat the first step, which is kind of to express your idea clearly. Um, oh, go ahead. You can you take this one. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I don't remember,
0: yeah. Okay, well, uh, to uh, <clears throat> rephrase, to repeat, uh, it's very important for us to, um, <clears throat> I guess, I don't know what's the word drill in mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> into people. Yeah, uh, we so easily uh, forget um, the the things that we've learned, mm-hmm. and this is definitely something that I struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm constantly messing up. <laughs> it seems like I never learn from my mistakes. Yeah. Uh, we right. both are. are or so. we find new ways, but just like this podcast, yeah. <laughs> just
1: keep finding ways to mess it up somehow.
0: Yeah. So like that part is uh, very important, and uh, the other part. Uh, This idea um, of uh, value judgments, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Also, we never want to include our own um, value judgment on other people. So we don't want to push our values onto other people. If Mm -hmm. they want to share the same values, then that's fine. But we don't want to tell other people, you're doing this, you're a good person. You're not doing this, you're a bad person. Right. Yeah. It's really up to each person's, mm-hmm. uh, we keep going back to this idea, uh, this word, experiences, the yeah. own experiences to say, I did this, I didn't like that, so I'm going to try doing something different. Yeah. I did this, it seems to work out, so I'm going to try to continue to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have to leave it up to everyone. It's very, uh, I guess, unique also of Buddhism that we don't have those kind of values. And a lot of people, I think, confuse it because there's this language of good karma and bad karma, yeah. where that's really like, botchy like Mm -hmm. if you do good things and good things will happen to you You bad things will happen to you but not necessarily true right karma all of karma is really neutral yeah it's just just that that. there's an
1: action and then there's an action and then there's an action right it kind of is a domino effect of sorts and it doesn't necessarily swing one way or the other of good or bad it just is
0: right so if you punch someone in the face
1: Somebody may punch you in the yeah, face. Yeah, that,
0: that, that was that's the risk you're taking. When or you, do or you that. may just
1: break your hand. <laughs> yeah.
0: So and those and those are just the natural reactions. of What yeah. happened? It's not good or bad. That's just what happens. Yeah. And that's another part of Buddhism you know, that we try to teach is that it's up to us to realize that all of our actions have these repercussions, and then mm-hmm. what to do with those repercussions to try to live in such a way that we um, are living less suffering.
1: Yeah. And I think the, the when we go back to like value judgments. Um, there we do always prescribe like good and bad to the way we experience things, mm-hmm. but I think um, the important part of that is kind of just like the duality of it, mm-hmm. just like that there is no good without the bad. Mm-hmm. So it, even even when bad things happen, it depends on your perspective on it and how you kind of I guess perceive how bad it is or like the mm-hmm. the way the what it's teaching you kind of thing mm-hmm. that not necessarily it it may be bad in the moment, but the teaching itself can come back to benefit you in the end, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's not our place to say that, you know, if you do this this way, it's always going to be bad because right. it may not always be bad. Right. It may it may be bad the first time, and then you do the same thing another time, and you're like, oh well, yeah, <laughs> I learned I learned yeah, from it, kind of thing. But yeah, I think I don't know. I think it's hard for us to. <laughs> to just say what's good and bad or it's hard for us not to say that like oh that was a good experience and that was a bad experience yeah
0: absolutely no that's definitely really built into us because uh we feel pleasure we feel pain yeah and so uh we always are trying to go towards pleasure and always trying to get away from pain Mm -hmm. but um once you kind of take into account this idea of everything just is and that pain is a part of life it actually is really freeing because mm-hmm. then you're not constantly running away from something and running towards something. Yeah, and you you're can not constantly kind of, chasing exactly. the,
1: the kind of almost the high. Of, right, right, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you can just, like, live. live your life. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh well, well,
1: that was bad. Yeah. It'll be different eventually. Yeah, right. I will experience something different eventually. Right. Yeah. And then in the last step, step nine, um, it is to rephrase your idea a final time, relating it to some phase of development a preschooler can understand and again this is we're not always necessarily talking about preschoolers but i think um it's important to rephrase what we're talking about because we present so many ideas in buddhism Mm -hmm. that sometimes um, it doesn't necessarily click at first Mm -hmm. that you know maybe the the teaching of i don't know suffering like we've been talking about it's like oh well i don't really get how it's not suffering but then you explain it as dukkha -hmm. Kind of. Right. And that's kind of the rephrase, and then explaining that and developing that. It kind of helps people develop, um, you know, the core idea more so than the words we're presenting.
0: Right. Yep. And then this uh, idea of development, I think, is also very important in Mm -hmm. the sense that we're constantly trying to improve ourselves. Right. Uh, We don't stop improving uh, until we die. Mm -hmm. So, like, that idea of um, again, remembering, rephrasing, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, reinterpreting, understanding. It's uh, important for us to continue to do that, to continue our development uh, spiritually uh, as people. Uh, If we ever stop, then we become stuck and that's, you know, not what we want. We want to constantly be working towards Mm -hmm. an ideal, you know, we're not ever going to get there, but it's never a reason to stop trying. So if we constantly uh, use this uh, kind of language or attitude that we're always striving to be better, Mm -hmm. then um, it will help us to uh, get closer to that.
1: Yeah. I like the word you just used, the attitude, and I think that this this whole process, this nine step process that Mister mm-hmm. Rogers uses, is you know an attitude of mindfulness, yes, and something that we need to kind of incorporate more in our lives. I think I think for us, a lot of times it's just so easy to spit out our our language without kind mm-hmm. of filtering it more than we should, right? Kind of, and even like unconsciously, we don't necessarily use those filters when we should right um and then i think the other thing is that we just don't realize the impact our words have Mm -hmm. and that was something that um mr rogers was able to do and i think you know um because he was able to kind of refine the way he spoke it allowed him to be perceived in a better light right or i don't know i think he was able to kind of represent more for people,
0: yeah, he like obviously people respected him. Mm-hmm. People look up to him, yeah. Uh, but he was he stood for something bigger than himself, yeah. yeah.
1: And I think that's something that kind of we should try to do as people is to um, represent ourselves mm-hmm. in um, the most ideal way we can, yeah. And that's kind of where the teaching of mindfulness comes into play. Is right. that we're always Kind of go, go, go. Right. That you forget that you need to slow down sometimes and really take into consideration what you're saying, who your right. audience is. Right. That kind of stuff. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Did you, you want to? Usually I wrap stuff up, but I think you wrapped it up very good. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, that's a first.
1: Yeah. <laughs> all right. I mean you got, any, you got any stories any any uh, mindfulness stories that you want to mind uh, you don't have to we're, I, already, we're already at like 45 minutes we can just like cut that last part out and then okay
0: no i don't know i've got nothing
1: all right well i guess that's it for the uh this episode of the welcome matt's podcast this is weird because i've never presented the final thoughts uh, <laughs> in a podcast yeah. so uh <laughs> uh go ahead plug your Plug away.
0: Okay. So you can find me uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Rev Matt Hama. I guess uh, we're going to do the YouTube. is going to be a new YouTube.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, we'll, we'll try and make a YouTube channel for people who can't or don't have... Apple podcast or yeah. download podcast sure. apps or something and then that way I mean if you ever want right. to go and play it on YouTube you can play it on YouTube.
0: Yeah. So I don't I let's see this past year um, has been a definitely growing and like learning experience for me uh, with everything new here and I was trying I think too hard to be like on social media and it kind of I don't know burn me out. Yeah. So like I'm going to focus on Instagram and Twitter so uh, if any of you, I guess, follow my vlog or something or, I don't know, the other outlets, I guess. We'll be on hiatus
1: for a while. Yeah. Or maybe forever.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> we may just be canceling it as, yeah. a, as a season. <laughs> just one season of it and that was it.
0: That was, yeah. It's not been picked up for the other pilot. Seasons.
1: The pilot was not, wasn't quite there. Yeah. So,
0: mm. uh, Instagram and Twitter, Rev Matt Hama. Those are, I'm, I've am i got on the train of now everything is the same. Ugh so
1: congrats man it's it only took you how many months yeah uh well i'm regular matt you can find me at the underscore matinator on all uh social medias even though i'm fairly bad at using all of them (laughs) but but that'll be my uh, new year's resolution is to uh you know kind of get better at that
0: that's part of my commitment too
1: yeah we'll just try to be better people in general
0: well yeah i mean that's kind of every day right (laughs)
1: <laughs> we'll try and be better about posting did we do a new year's resolution one no we can you want to go ahead you want to do your new year's resolution we'll do it next one okay we'll do it okay. in the next podcast. all right yeah okay anyways all so right that'll be it for uh this uh week week month whatever however long it takes us to post <laughs> podcast episode um i'm regular matt i'm reverend matt and this was oh this was welcome. the welcome matt oh, oh man we'll i almost had right. it okay okay well
0: yeah all right bye bye